Percy asks if Persephone seemed a bit up. Percy asks. Come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Helsinki, Finland, what is good? Oh, it is a delight to be here. I'm so happy to be here doing a TNO live show. I knew that this would be a fun time being in the city. It's been wonderful to be here as a tourist. It's been wonderful to be here as a performer. Uh, last night, the part of the show was super fun. Tonight, we have a really fun show planned. We are doing the third story in the Demigod Files, and it's a chunky story. So let's not waste any time with pleasantries. <laughs> let's get our guest onto the stage for the show. Someone very special to me, someone very special to you, someone who's a beloved voice on the podcast. Please make some noise for my wife, one of my favorite people on earth, nah, probably my favorite person on earth, Kelly Schubert. <laughs> Hello. How's it going? Good. Doing well. <laughs> Just casually fixing my hair as I ask you, how are you doing? You look wonderful. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, I'll use that next. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you could. Thank you for bringing all of my various things. My yep, water bottle, my, my laptop, my brush. Yeah. Your job is also to be the guest here for yes. the Demigod Files book. Why don't you tell the crowd really quickly about your experience with the Demigod Files book and your confusion maybe a little bit about how it fit in. I know that there was one story that you had said, and we'd mentioned this in an earlier episode, you had said that there was one story that seemed very plot relevant. Yes. And then you learned the hard way. And after doing all the three Demigod stories, this one feels pretty important compared to the other two. Not to... Not to spoil anything, but what was yeah. your experience with that? Yeah, so I read the original series, I mean, not too long ago. I read the original series, and then I read the sequel series almost immediately after. And I didn't know that the Demigod Files book existed at all until, I think until you said you were going to do them for this. And I was like, oh, is that like some like filler book? And you're like, no, there's stories. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And as I was reading one of the stories, which I've been very vague to tell you which, which story, is the important story, thing. yeah. But I was reading something, and there was a moment when I was reading one of the books that something happened, and I was just like, oh, I must have just forgotten that this character thing place existed, mm -hmm. and because it's been so long since I've read some of the books, I must have just forgotten this happened. I didn't forget it happened. It happened in <laughs> Demigod Files. So it made me feel better about my memory um, mm -hmm. reading this and seeing that, and it also made me feel a little silly for not reading it at the correct time. It's okay. I don't think you're alone in that case. For anyone here, just by show of hands, who didn't know the Demigod Files was a thing before you read book five? Okay, so like cool. a third of the crowd. Yeah. Who only knew about it because I'd mentioned it on the podcast? Okay, oh, nice. yeah. oh, good. Another, a different third of the crowd. <laughs> Is there anyone here who hasn't read any Percy Jackson? You were like, yeah, I'll go to the show. Why not? Yeah, yeah. all right. <laughs> <laughs> that is some dedication. I love that. That is fantastic. But don't worry, 
because this is technically an isolated story. And if you did read the story in prep, it does do all of the nice things that Rick Riordan does with each new book in the series where they mm -hmm. kind of talk about who the characters are, give you some context of like, here's why Percy's pen is also a sword, things like that that are helpful. So you could just have a very unique introduction to the whole series. Let me tell you, the books are good. They're very, very good. Now, this story as well is very fun and it's juicy and uh, I'm excited to get long. right into it. Is there yes. anything you want to say before we uh, get this going? Ooh, there's a lot of notes. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, that's a lot of notes. Mm -hmm. Whoa, keeps mm -hmm. going. Just keep scrolling and scrolling. All yeah, right, yeah. let's get into it. People think this podcast is just reading and talking. It's also <laughs> note-taking. <laughs> and then reading the notes. And then reading the notes <laughs> and trying to remember what is this shorthand that I wrote because I try to abbreviate everything to make the note-taking not take yeah. as long. But it's hard when I have characters like Tyson and then Thalia, and it's like, oh, I can't just put a T anymore now. Mm -hmm. But let's get into it. Now, what I always do for these stories is I try to guess what it is just by the title. The title of this story, the third of the three in the Demigod Files, is Percy Jackson and the Sword of Hades. And I was relieved when I read that title because some folks have sent me pictures of the Sword of Hades as like a standalone book. I think mm. there is a separate thing where you can read a story that's just that, like separate from the Demigod Files, oh. which would very much make it very obvious which of these three stories might have the most plot relevance in the series or the sequel series, we will just have to see. My guess, though, at the top was that Percy spends time with Nico trying to hone his powers, but they accidentally craft a new weapon for Hades. So, not correct, but, like, not the most wrong that it could have been. Could have been a lot more off base. Now, the reason I had been thinking that a little bit is because in the introduction to the Demigod Files in the very beginning, which if anyone was unaware, the introduction establishes that Rick Riordan is a character in the universe, which is very fun. He's the official scribe of Camp Half-Blood, which I think is fantastic. He gives a little bit of a preview for this story, and he mentions something about Percy being an unwitting participant in the creation of a new weapon for Hades. So I was more thinking that it was some sort of trick that something happened and they utilized Percy's powers to make the sword actually exist. Hmm. Not exactly the case as we'll see, but that was basically my mindset the whole time I was reading the story is right. that there's some sort of trick and he's going to accidentally make the sword. It's like, ha ha ha, we didn't actually have the sword, but That was far more perceptive than when I was reading it because in that intro... Rick does kind of give you like what the three stories are about. I was reading the stories on the e-reader and I finished the first two stories and then there's like a map and some interviews and some like drawings and things like that. And I was like, oh, okay, it's over. And I put it down. And at one point you're like, Kelly, are you going to finish these? And I was like, yeah, I finished them. You're like, no, it says you have another story left. And I was like, what? Yeah, it says like 62% or whatever at the bottom yeah, of the e-reader. Yeah, which I didn't know how to look at that percentage. <laughs> so I'm sure if I was holding a real book, I would have seen that there was a lot left. Would have been a wild choice if you had a book with about 40 yeah. pages left and you're like, ah, this is done. Yeah. <laughs> it must just be the credits. And then that's what I expected it to be. It was like the credits when I kept reading it and then it just kept going and going and going because it is very long mm -hmm. as compared to the other ones. Yeah. And in your defense, a lot of at least the publications of the books that we've been reading, they are 
are later mm -hmm. publications that aren't the first edition. So a lot of them will have the first chapter of whatever comes next in the series. Yeah. So I could totally see you thinking that you could safely skip the end because maybe it's just chapter one, book five or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Which was at the end. Oh, really? Actually, That's yeah. there too? Yeah, That's very fun. Too, which I then read because we hadn't gotten the fifth one on the e-reader yet. Right. And, so. and we had to pester my lovely mother, Barbara Schubert, who <laughs> does keep up with the podcast. But the problem is that because of tour and everything, I'm way ahead of the podcast. Yeah. So before we were leaving for tour, we had to start reading book five stuff. Mm -hmm. So we had to tell my mom, hey, uh, you know how you were already going to buy book five? <laughs> For our e-reader that we have family sharing on for the accounts, you maybe want to buy it like a couple weeks early. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, I could business expense it, but then all I really do is save the taxes, so I still have to pay the money because I'm my own boss, so I pay my own expenses. Like, if you were going to buy the book anyway. <laughs> I mean, we were like in the airport and mm. like being like, can you do this right now? I want to read it on the plane. Yeah, but so I was it. reading the first chapter at the end of this one yeah, yeah. in prep. But Fantastic. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Yeah. So Narrator Percy opens this story by saying, Christmas in the underworld was not my idea. <laughs> so we've got the setting right away. It's Christmas time. It's the fun Christmas episode. Hooray. <laughs> Percy says that if he knew that he would be spending Christmas in the underworld, he would have called in sick to avoid a demon army, a titan fight, and a trick that almost got Percy and his friends cast into eternal darkness. And right off the bat, I knew this story was going to be juicy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very excited to read this one. So Percy is in school for the last day of the winter semester, and he's taking his English exam, which is an essay about a tale of two cities. And Percy certainly has not read a tale of two cities. Nope. Trying to do his best job. Did you ever have to do this in an English class? Where you have, have to, to read the book? No, not, oh, I guess that I didn't have to read that one. But I meant, oh. do, were you ever in a situation where you had to write an essay on a book that you hadn't read? Yeah. No. I never went all the way what? as far into a test or an essay, but I definitely had classes where it's like, oh, yeah, let's talk about chapter 10 at the start of class. What'd you guys think? And it was like, uh, piggybacking off of what Frank said. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely read A Tale of Two Cities, and I actually liked that one. There were other ones that I just read summaries of and did not do well when trying to pretend like I read them. Did you enjoy reading A Tale of Two Cities? Would yeah, you say I that did. it was the best of times or the worst of times? <laughs> I would say it was both. Okay. That is yeah. literally my entire knowledge of the Tale of Two Cities. Oh, I don't even know who wrote it. Dickens? I don't remember. It's been, it's been a long time. Dickens? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he definitely hasn't read the book, but he's got to try to figure out this essay. But of course, what happens? Mrs. O'Leary rushes in, rushes on stage and starts barking like mad. So I guess they're taking the exams in some sort of auditorium of mm -hmm. sorts. For the five people who haven't read Percy Jackson's, she's a dog. So, <laughs> But not just a dog. She is a giant hellhound named yes. Mrs. O'Leary. Yes. Think very, very big dog. Very large, yes. Percy then describes her, for anyone who hadn't read the stories, and says that she is as big as a Hummer, which, do you guys get Hummers in Finland? Yeah. yeah. Okay, they're really big, gross cars that get like negative five miles to the gallon. Yeah. And now they've made an electric Hummer, but the amount of work that you have to do to like produce the battery and everything for it is just like worse than a regular car anyway. Oh, no. So it's just oh, a no. mess. They're just always bad at every single turn. <laughs> But they're big, so that's why the dog is compared to a Hummer. And it's also just very, this little side series came out in 2009, I think, and that's very, like, the era of Hummers. Yeah. Like, they were in all the music videos in the late 2000s. Yes. Hummers were in the background yes. all over the place. 
Now, this also keys me into something that I was confused about before, because mm-hmm. I thought Mrs. O'Leary was like Clifford the Big Red Dog size. I thought she was enormous. And then there was a time where she had bitten a Lestragonian giant who's 10 feet tall. And then the book described the giant as trying to shake her off his wrist. And I was like, wait a second, that doesn't feel right. So I realize now that I was right about her being very big because a Hummer quite large. Mm -hmm. I think I'm misinterpreting how big the Lestragonian giants are. Mm. I've always thought of her as a size-changing dog. Sometimes Ah. she's as large as a house. Sometimes she's the size of a puppy. Ah. And that's kind of how I've always thought about it, but I don't think that's correct. I don't think it's (laughs) canonical, but it's fun. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Percy thinks that the kids are going to scream, but they all go, aw. Then, (laughs) Dr. Boring and narrator Percy says, I'm not kidding, that's his real name. I love Rick making a choice and then immediately justifying it. (laughs) Dr. Boring says, all right, who's Poodle? So the mist is making this giant dog look like a poodle instead, Mm -hmm. which is very fun. Percy says that it's his dog. Some kid whistles, Mary had a little lamb, and then the others start to laugh, which I get it. You know, if you're a freshman in high school, having a poodle is not necessarily the coolest dog to have. I think they're cool. Although I would have pegged Mrs. O'Leary as like a black lab kind of energy. Right. Yeah. Very powerful for the mist to turn giant hellhound into poodle. Yeah. I feel like that is opposite ends, yeah. not necessarily complete opposite ends, but pretty far opposite ends yeah. of the spectrum. But from my understanding, I'm not a dog person by any means. Aren't poodles like actually kind of mean, even though they look cute? Don't they like kind of like snap and bark and give them some nods from the crowd? So I think I'm mixing it up with like a labradoodle in my mind, which uh. is like part poodle and usually really kind. So uh, yeah, no, okay. th- yeah, this is- I much. thought you were about to say, hey, I'm mixing it up with French people who <laughs> everyone just assumes, <laughs> who despite their stereotype are so nice. Yeah. I, I think they're very nice people. I think they just got a bad rap because they're mean to tourists, which is the correct approach to tourists <laughs> as one myself. <laughs> Dr. Boring calls for the kids to stop and tells Percy that a dog can't be here during the final. Mrs. O'Leary barks and looks at Percy like she wants him to follow her. And he- tells his teacher that he'll take care of this, adding that he's finished with his essay anyway. And as he's leaving, some kid goes, see ya, poodle boy. (laughs) Terrible insult. I love see ya being in there, because anytime telling Percy see ya is canonical, I feel validated in my choice (laughs) of sign-off thing. However, poodle boy, come on, come on. (laughs) There had to be something better than poodle boy. You can't just say a thing and then boy at the end. That's nothing. (laughs) That's nothing at all. Poodle boy, the the weirdest of the superheroes. Oh, poodle boy, boy. yeah. (laughs) Your favorite X-Men character, poodle boy. boy. Yeah, not great. I feel like you could have called him like bonehead or something, like dog bone. Yeah, Yeah, anyway. Mrs. O'Leary runs down 81st Street, but narrator Percy calls 81st Street East 81st Street because Uncle Rick is not a New Yorker. (laughs) He is correct in that there is East streets and West streets, but usually with context clues, no one ever refers to them as East and West. Mm-hmm. Though we did almost have an issue where one of our friends, Went Hannah, almost, yeah. was that the actual yes. thing? I yes. thought she got on the wrong train. I didn't think she confused East and West. We were afraid that she did. I think in Google Maps, you have to put in East or West sometimes. Mm. I don't remember. We'll have to catch up with her and right. find out if she was lost or wrong. Regardless, <laughs> even though there are East and West streets in New York, even though it could be helpful, you never say the direction. You just hope with context clues, people figure it out. But anyway, enough New York talk in Helsinki. <laughs> and technically we're even in Espo, not a Helsinki, according to Google, someone corrected me. I liked when someone replied to me, they were like, this show's not in Helsinki, it's an Espo. And then I looked and I was like, 
It's a 15 minute train ride away. That's the same city. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, oh, okay. It, look, this place is like right in between the two, which is perfect <laughs> as my most downloaded cities in Finland. However, Helsinki has astronomically more downloads than Espoo or any other city. So I was like, it's the Helsinki show. <laughs> For marketing purposes, it just made sense. Now. Percy follows Mrs. O'Leary and gets some strange looks, but it's New York City, so Percy knows that they've seen weirder things than a boy chasing a poodle down the street, as New Yorkers confirmed. confirmed. We've definitely seen stranger things running down the street. Yeah, oh my God, that's easily one of the most normal things you could witness. Mm-hmm. So she runs three blocks north into Carl Schurz Park. Have you ever been to this park? I have been to that park. Is it a nice park? It's a nice park. I rollerbladed through it, and cool. it was steep like it takes you steep up Ooh, and steep down so I, I actually know. didn't like it for that purpose okay but it was a nice part I don't think I've been in this park but we should go and then yeah. we can take pictures of it and be like look a Percy Jackson thing <laughs> the uh, Sherry Guo approach to visiting landmarks in the US yep. she keeps sending me photos she sent me one recently where she was at the Garden of the Gods and I don't know if I've posted that episode yet but she sent the edit and I was like Sherry do you only take your family on trips <laughs> to Percy Jackson locations she was like well, <laughs> there's a lot of them, so it's easy to hide. She's like, actually, I'm going to Greece next summer. So. <laughs> in her defense, there's so many national monuments yeah. that are finding their way in. They're like, you can kind of justify a lot of things, but it's just mm-hmm. a fun thing that she's like, yeah, I went here as a kid too. Love it. Great. Shout out to Sherry helping out with all the edits. Now, they go to Carl Schurz Park. Mrs. O'Leary jumps over an iron fence and then runs into a wall of snow-covered bushes. Percy's frustrated because he didn't have a chance to grab his coat, so he's already been cold, but now he's going to be freezing cold. He follows Mrs. O'Leary and sees that on the other side of the clearing is a whole bunch of icy grass and leafless trees. So Mm -hmm. very snow-fallen New York. Mm -hmm. He notes that the East River is steel-colored, making me wonder if he's ever seen steel or the East River. (laughs) Because I would not call the East River steel-colored. It's not gray. Yeah, it is on an overcast day. I guess, uh, okay, I guess on an overcast yeah. day, but I think it's got a little bit more of a blue hue to it than he's giving it credit for. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes. I don't know. I'm we'll, colorblind, we'll so I'm not we'll, the... We'll, <laughs> we'll go to the park and we'll find out Okay. For real. Sure, yeah, we'll do that and we'll yeah. put it up to... Next we'll get like one of those day. paint things where they name all the colors, funky mm-hmm. things, and then hold it up and see if steel matches. <laughs> the back of Percy's neck begins to tingle, so he uncaps Riptide and asks Mrs. O'Leary what's bothering her. Mrs. O'Leary doesn't speak English, though, so not necessarily the most helpful question to ask, but a golden metallic deer emerges from the bushes. It is so bright that it's hard to look at, but narrator Percy says that it may be the most beautiful thing he's seen. Come on, Percy, you've seen Annabeth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's got to make sure that she doesn't read this. (laughs) Mrs. O'Leary licks her lips, but then out comes another figure. This time it is a girl in a hooded parka with a bow. And I was like, oh, Thalia's back in the mix? That could be very fun. And it is Thalia. She removes her hood and asks Percy, Percy? (laughs) Percy is excited to see her and asks what she's doing here. And then this is the exchange that happens from the book. It says, quote, following the golden deer, Thalia said. Like, that should be obvious. (laughs) She goes on to say that it is the sacred animal of Artemis and then nervously asks why a hellhound is here with him, since they're normally evil. He hands her a copy of Percy Jackson and the Battle of the Labyrinth and tells her to get caught up on what's going on. Uh, what he ends up doing is explaining that Mrs. O'Leary is basically his pet. And then he tries to scold Mrs. O'Leary for sniffing the deer and not respecting its personal space. I like this. Percy is making sure that Mrs. O'Leary is being a respectful dog. And I respect that. Yeah. Oh, I just imagine this like giant dog 
sniffing this very beautiful, godly deer <laughs> in the most comical kind of way. It's like one of those classic unlikely friendship exactly. videos that you see online. Yeah. It's super cute. And that's basically what happens. The two animals begin playing with each other. Thalia thinks them meeting up like this cannot be a coincidence. Percy agrees, thinks that probably a god is messing with them, but he says that it's good to see her nonetheless. I like that. He's a good friend. He's like, yeah, this situation sucks, but good to see you. How you been? Been too long, which I agree. She was not in book four at all. Oh yeah, she wasn't. Zero percent in book four. Yeah. Yeah. So for her to be back here is really nice. Gives me hope that she might be showing up in book five, which Mm -hmm. would be really cool. So I'm excited. Thalia says that if they get out of whatever situation is about to happen in one piece, she'll buy him a cheeseburger, which I hope she holds true on. (laughs) We'll just have to see by the end of the story, won't we? Ah. She asks how Annabeth is doing, but then a cloud passes over the sun, which is very convenient because Percy and Annabeth are in a bit of a confusing time currently. So that would have been a whole mess of a story. Mm -hmm. So the cloud passes over the sun, the deer shimmers and disappears, Percy wields Riptide again, Thalia draws her bow, and then they stand back to back ready to fight whatever approaches them. A patch of darkness shows, and a boy tumbles out, hits the grass, and goes, ow. And I knew right away, Percy knows right away, that it's Nico D'Angelo. Very excited that Nico's in the mix, too. This is just a fun pairing. When you look at the stories in the Demigod Files, the fact that you have a Percy and Clarice story, you have a Percy, Annabeth, Beckendorf, and Selina story, Mm -hmm. and now we're getting a Percy, Thalia, Nico story, it's great. Basically, all of our friends get in the mix except for Tyson and Grover. But Tyson and Grover did have their little go on the side pan adventure, which I would love if that turns into some sort of story. I have no idea if that is something that exists or might exist in the future, but that could be very fun. Mm -hmm. Now, did you catch what Thalia is about to point out? Or (sighs) Percy or whoever points it out. Somebody's about to point this out. Let's find out if Mike from a couple of days ago did. Because I don't remember. (laughs) Because my brain is filled with all the other stuff that happens in this story. Let's see. So Nico shows up. Percy is surprised, but Thalia is much more surprised, asking if that's Bianca's little brother, which Nico scowls at he doesn't like being referred to in that manner. Right. Maybe I didn't pick it up? No, what? not that. The fact that they're the children of the big three. Oh, yeah. Right now. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh. Oh, you got it. Oh. You got it. I'm a 31-year-old man reading a book <laughs> targeted towards 12-year-olds. I picked up on the thematic elements. <laughs> <laughs> Nico asks why they brought him here while he was busy in a New Orleans graveyard, which is the creepiest of the graveyards, as you can confirm someone born in the New Orleans area. I wouldn't call them creepy because as somebody born in the New Orleans area and with family in the New Orleans area, I have family buried in New Orleans graveyards. Okay. <laughs> I never found them creepy. Okay. I found them sad. <laughs> I guess I guess then the more correct thing would be to say that they are I don't know which doctor's stuff is kind of the quintessential like folklore of New Orleans. Yes, they are tied in with a whole lot of voodoo, witch kind of like folklore for other people who Mm -hmm. looking on the outside in to New Orleans. But on the inside looking out, I personally never like felt that way. (laughs) You've all seen The Princess and the Frog or played Tony Hawk's (laughs) Underground 2, the New Orleans level. You get it. Man, that game was not nearly as good as Tony Hawk's Underground 1, the greatest video game of all time. (laughs) I got to start a podcast doing that one. Anyway, (laughs) Percy explains that they did not summon Nico here and then gets worried as it dawns on him that all three were brought here together because they are the children of the big three, Mm -hmm. which is super intense. Thalia wonders if it's Kronos because of the prophecy, the whole one of the kids of the big three is either going to be the best or the worst, and the ground then rumbles. Mrs. O'Leary jumps back and barks, 
in alarm, but it's too late by the time Percy realizes that she's trying to warn them and they fall into darkness. So they're going down to Hades. And I'm excited because we haven't really had Hades show up since book one, right? We've had Hades mentioned, but all we had was him in the first book, and I thought yeah. he was very captivating and interesting. So mm -hmm. we've had three straight books without him in the mix. Right. I was very hopeful that he would show up here. He like kind of makes like a little bit of a cameo, but I don't think he makes enough of a cameo to show right. up as, you know, if this was a movie poster to say like Hades, you know. Yeah. I don't think it would be that. I think it would be like guest starring Hades yeah, at exactly. the very end for like a little bit and then he leaves. <laughs> I was disappointed. But I am hopeful that he's going to show up in book five, which makes me excited because I think he's one of the more interesting characters in the story. No comment from Kelly. Trapdoor is intact. Let's continue. It's funny. We, I always joke about the trapdoor being a thing at the live shows or any recording where if the guests spoil something, the trapdoor will activate. But we are recording this and performing this in a venue that is also an escape room called Trap Factory. Yep. If there was ever a place that would actually have a trapdoor, this would be the place. So maybe I shouldn't joke about it. <laughs> In the intermission, you're going to go stick me in an escape room and say, like, if you can get out, you can be on the second half. <laughs> <laughs> so they find themselves in a dark garden with rows of silver flowers that glow, and they are set in gemmed flower beds. There are orange trees that stretch their branches overhead, and the air is cool and damp as if they're in a cave. Percy says he's been here before. Nico says it's Persephone's garden and warns them not to eat any of the fruit. And Percy, as the narrator, reminds us, the reader, that if you eat any food in the underworld, you can't leave. And I was wondering, Percy's been in the underworld. Has he been specifically to Persephone's garden? And am I forgetting it? I was confused when he said that. I didn't think he had been. I thought when he came, he went through the fields of Aspidol or Yeah, he whatever. went through basically evil TSA. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I don't remember him coming here. Maybe. Maybe in a dream he saw maybe. it or something? But I was confused when he said that line. Yeah. I don't know. I also don't remember which mythology story the person eats food and has to stay there. Persephone? Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, Persephone. Ah. <laughs> ah, I see. Well, we'll have to get Dr. Moya on to explain. Yes. The, yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, that'll be good. We're gonna, there's gonna be like a whole bunch of Dr. Moya oh, episodes yeah. here. There's oh, a lot yeah. of book four, there's a lot in the Demigod Files. I'm gonna just have her for like a brief residency <laughs> on the newest <laughs> Olympian for multiple episodes. But yeah, I don't know of any other story except for just like the Persephone story. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is what I think it just is. <laughs> Thalia says heads up as she takes aim at a woman in a white dress. And I guessed Persephone. And Percy initially thought that it was a ghost because of the floating hair and dress and her pale face. Mm -hmm. But then he noticed is that the dress isn't white. It's made of changing faded colors that bloom within the cloth, which sounds very cool. And mm -hmm. it is established because we do learn that this is Persephone. Her and Hades have the coolest clothes in yeah. the whole story oh, with yeah. the morphing patterns and stuff. Fantastic. Very, very cool. If this narwhal on my sweater was swimming, can you imagine? Oh, man. It'd be so fun. <laughs> oh, it'd be great. Now, her eyes are similar. They are multicolored but washed out. And Percy gets the impression that she would be gorgeous in the world above, but the world below has sucked away some of her life force, so she looks a little bit worse for wear. Mm -hmm. And it is confirmed that it is Persephone. She introduces herself and welcomes them. Nico stomps on a pomegranate and replies, Welcome! After last time, you've got the nerve to welcome me? So grumpy. <laughs> Percy tries to get Nico to rein it in, since she is a god. Mm -hmm. But Persephone says that it's okay and explains that they had a bit of a family tiff. 
But Nico explains that it's more than just a tiff, saying, quote, you turned me into a dandelion. <laughs> now I need either this short story yes. or if this is something that she did to someone else and then Rick did the thing where he kind of adapted it. But mm -hmm. regardless, I'm very intrigued by Nico becoming a dandelion of all things, <laughs> of all things, the antithesis to his vibe, yeah. a cute little yellow flower. <laughs> Persephone ignores this and resumes welcoming them. Thalia asks if she sent the deer, she confirms, along with the hellhound and the shadow that grabbed Nico. Percy asks why bring them all together, and she says that Haiti has an issue, quote, and if you know what's good for you, you will help him. And I have to say, as someone who is familiar with the story of Persephone from Hades Town and Hades the video game, mm -hmm. I like those other Persephones better. Yeah. They are far less demanding. Hades Town version of Persephone is fun and soulful and very good at singing and yeah. just the life of the party. Mm -hmm. And then Persephone in Hades the Video Game, I won't say much because of spoilers if you have not played the game, but I will just say much more pleasant to be around than this seemingly very bossy Persephone, very yeah. demanding and like, ah, I've snatched you here against your will. Now listen to what I've said. Be grateful for this. Like, all right, I don't know. Uh, are you on the same page? Oh, I'm on the same page. I haven't played Hades, but watching Hades Town, I like that Persephone more than this like mm -hmm. angry, demanding Persephone that we get here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, we've seen Hades Town twice. Persephone, yeah. phenomenal Wonderful. both times. Yeah. Even the second time it was, I think technically an understudy and yeah. it was some slip of paper that's like, oh, the role of Persephone will be played by someone else this time. And she was a phenomenal actress. Yeah. So I was like, if she's not the best, who's the best? Yeah. I mean, she's so good. <laughs> So she explains that if it were spring, she could have met them in the world above, but for winter, the best that she can do is have them down here with handmaids attending to them. Narrator Percy notes that she sounds bitter, like she doesn't love being down here during half of the year, mm -hmm. and that tracks with the other things that I know about Persephone, yeah. at least the Persephone in Hades Town. that's very much her vibe. Yes. Now, as if she can read Percy's thoughts, she says that Hades is her husband and master for whom she would do anything. She says that she needs their help quickly as there is a matter that is centered around Hades' sword. And Nico says, Hades doesn't have a sword. He uses his staff and his helm of terror in battle or his spear and his helm of darkness if you're playing Hades the video game. <laughs> Persephone corrects Nico by saying he didn't have a sword. So Thalia asks if he's crafting a new symbol of power without mm -hmm. Zeus's permission. And then Persephone points at a table and an image of skeletal weaponsmiths forging a hunk of iron into a blade with skull-shaped hammers shows. I love that they're on the vibe where even their hammers are shaped like skulls. <laughs> Feels like an inefficient hammer, but the vibes are immaculate. You can't touch it. She says that war with the Titans is approaching, so Hades must be prepared. Thalia says that the big three would never allow it because it would unbalance their power-sharing agreement. And Persephone goes, oh, it would make them equals? Which, gotta hand it to her. It's a good yeah. thing that the power balance is really a seesaw with one end sticking up in the air and one end flat on the ground because the big yeah. three have way more power over Hades. And he's the only person that followed their rules of their pact that they signed. Right, right. Technically, yes. Yeah, right. We gotta figure out exactly what's going on with Nico and Bianca before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we can know, but it seems like he's the only one that obeyed the rules, right. but we'll have to see. She assures them that Hades has no plans against his brothers, but also he knew that they would never understand, so he made the weapon in secret. 
And in the image, one of the skeleton smiths raises the blade, and then Percy can see something is set into the base of it. And it's not a gem, but it's a key. And if you've been listening to recent episodes of The New Olympian, the parallels between the Percy Jackson series and the Kingdom Hearts video game mm -hmm. are just piling up so significantly. We created a keyblade. I, right, like they are, yeah. the, these books are just asking for me to go on minutes long tangents <laughs> about the video games and gosh, they're so good, but the plots are so confusing. And even yeah. the games are confusing. There was someone who recently got the Kingdom Hearts games because I talked about it and mm -hmm. there's a thing where you can buy and there's all these sorts of spinoff games and things like that. And you can buy this thing called Kingdom Hearts 1.5 Final Mix HD, I think is the official name. <laughs> that should kind of put it in perspective. And it's got like five games in it, but two of the games aren't actually games. They're games that were either on Game Boy or something where you can't play them on the PlayStation, which it's now mapped for. So it's just all the cutscenes put together. So they're just movies. And the person playing the game started from the bottom of the list, not the top of the list, because they thought that it went down to up. And then they like tagged me on Instagram. They were like, I've been watching this for an hour. When do I start? <laughs> And the only reason I knew it was going on is because Kelly and I went through the same situation. Yeah. But now we did go top to bottom because we figured that was right. it. But I also extensively Googled what games to play in what order. Yeah. But then that one, we didn't realize it was a movie. We thought it was a game. And after like 45 minutes of cutscene, we're like, look, I know the intro to Kingdom Hearts games are usually quite long, <laughs> but this feels a bit excessive. And then Googled it. It was like, oh, it's just a movie the whole time. So yep. I apologize for this person that I've <laughs> led straight to anyone. Like I know a lot of people have played Hades video game because they talk about it. If you wade into Kingdom Hearts, you have to do extensive research before you open that chest, yeah. and you can't blame me for anything. <laughs> it's out of my hands. They're great, but they're wild, and they're super confusing, and if you watch a seven-hour quick explainer video yeah. about oh the lore in Kingdom Hearts, like, that's gonna happen. It might be in your future, but man, those games are so good. good. <laughs> but they're so confusing. And that's just part of the fun. Exactly. I kind of just ignore the plot the majority of the time. It's the general vibes of good versus evil, and that's about all that I get. Thankfully, the good people usually smile and look bubbly, and the mm -hmm. evil people have giant white hair, and it's pretty yeah. clear that they're evil. So usually you can kind of figure it out. And yeah, it's one of those, like, you try to get it, and if you don't know what's going on, you're like, the struggle of good and evil. Yeah, yeah. Light versus dark. We know what's happening. Exactly. Anyway, Percy Jackson. <laughs> so Nico gags and asks if those are the keys of Hades. Thalia asks, what are the keys of Hades? <laughs> Nico looks spooked as he explains that legend has it that Hades possesses a set of golden keys that can lock or unlock death, and Persephone confirms these rumors. Percy asks how one can lock or unlock death. Persephone responds, the keys have the power to imprison a soul in the underworld or to release it. Nico gulps and begins to explain, but Persephone finishes his sentence, the wielder can raise the dead or slay the living, any sort of living thing or any dead soul, mm -hmm. with just a touch of the blade. So, very scary. Yeah. Percy calls it wicked, and I would hope he means wicked as in the literal thing like wicked <laughs> bad. <laughs> Not wicked good, not because I'm afraid that he's calling it bad, but because I'm afraid Uncle Rick thinks that Percy is from Boston, not New York. <laughs> That's the bigger concern. But I think he means the true definition of wicked. Rick, yes. Thalia says that it would make Hades unstoppable. Persephone says, quote, so you see why you must help get it back. And then Thalia says, did you say get it back? And now apparently it was stolen just before it was finished. 
And at this point, I'm thinking, all right, this is starting to feel like a trick. It feels awfully convenient that they made a sword and it was just about done and now it's stolen. Because I was big on thinking that they are going to play a role in crafting the sword. Mm -hmm. We'll see if that Mm -hmm. becomes true. But at this point, things start to feel a little suspicious. They are suspicious, but for different reasons, as we'll find out later in the story. Right. She's being a little shady right now Mm -hmm. about what's going on with the situation. For sure. Yeah. So she suspects that a demigod servant of Kronos stole it and worries about what would happen if Kronos got this sword. Thalia says that letting the blade be stolen was a stupid idea. (laughs) Persephone responds by turning her arrows into roses and her bow into a honeysuckle vine with white and gold flowers. And she says not to speak to her with such disrespect in her own home. And I get it. Mm -hmm. As I've told the story on at least one of my podcasts before. There was a time where freshmen once came into my dorm room junior year and we had posters on our ceiling where we had like a big Kesha poster and a Justin Bieber poster on the ceiling, like kind of as a tongue-in-cheek thing, but like also the music was incredible (laughs) from 2010 to 2014. Can't refute it. And some freshman was like, uh, why do you have Kesha and Justin Bieber posters? And me and my two roommates in unison said, get the out of our dorm. (laughs) Yeah, that's the same thing. Same thing. I mean, look, if you're in someone's house, you got to be a little bit respectful. So if you're in my dorm room, do not trash my Justin Bieber and Kesha posters. (laughs) To be fair, she captured them and forced them into her house. Right. Whereas we (laughs) were- Captured some freshmen. No, no, no. We were very nice in that there were freshmen who lived, it was a thing where it was a room of four and then a bathroom and then another room of four and their party was getting too big and they said, hey, can we spill over into your room? We were like, yeah, come through. And then immediately some twerp tried to make fun of our posers. So they were in for like two seconds. We were like, no, you got to get out. And we closed and locked the door. We're like, no one's coming in. How dare you? Anyway, Percy Jackson. So- Thalia grits her teeth and says, give me back my bow. Yes, those are ellipses in between each word. I'm very happy that becoming a hunter didn't suck the attitude out of Thalia. She didn't get all stuffy and uptight, kind of like how Zoe was before we got to know her a little Mm -hmm. bit better. Thalia still has her personality intact, and I really like that, because it's one of the most fun things about her. I think that just means that that was Zoe's personality. It wasn't because she was a hunter. Sure, sure, sure. Right, yes. But we didn't really know a whole lot of the other hunters, so it was hard to tell, is it her, is it the group? But no, it seems like you can keep your aura, and Mm -hmm. Thalia's rage is still here, which is nice. (laughs) Persephone transforms the bow back to normal and says that the sword may still be in the underworld because Hades used his remaining keys to lock up the underworld. Nothing can go in or out until he finds the sword. And I thought, what is this, 22 bridges starring Chadwick Boseman where they shut down all the bridges in New York City so none of the criminals can leave? A plot that would never work, ever. That made no sense. I've not seen the film, but that did not make any sense at all. Yeah, we'll shut down all the bridges. Be like, what about the ferry? I don't know. Hades is now channeling all of his efforts to find the thief. Thalia asks, all right, well then what do you need us for? He's the god of the underworld. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's a very good question. And that's why I'm thinking Persephone's being a little fishy here. Mm -hmm. Persephone says that hunting for the blade has to be kept secret. They've locked the gates, but they haven't explained why to everyone in the underworld. Hades' servants cannot be used for the search and they cannot know about the search. Nico adds that if they knew about it, and if they knew Hades was in a pickle, they might leave him in favor of the Titans, so he understands Persephone's perspective. Right. It feels very fishy that there's just too many constraints on this quest. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of things happening that are very convenient, Mm -hmm. and then, as Percy will think about later, why isn't Hades here? He's not saying any of this, and it's a lot of, like, here's what's going on. Don't ask questions. I've already thought about all of the different things you might 
talk about, which is the first thing you do when you're coming up with a lie is you think of like, all right, what if they ask me this? Ah, I'll say that. What if they ask me this? Ah, I'll say that. Like, it's too well-crafted of a story mm -hmm. where it feels ingenuine. Yes. Persephone doesn't answer, which is also a huge red flag when you ask someone <laughs> a question and then they just pivot <laughs> and move on. Percy notes that she looks a little bit nervous, as nervous as a goddess could look. And she says that no immortal, not even Kronos, can steal another immortal's weapon, so it has to be a demigod. She's really pushing the narrative of a demigod thief pretty hard, so I was mm -hmm. worrying if that was the truth, but we'll have to see. Her plan is to use the three of them to catch this demigod. Percy asks why us, and she explains that they're the kids of the big three, which makes sense. And then she continues saying that no one could defeat their combined power. And she also believes that them helping Hades would send a message to Olympus, that they trust Hades. The big three has a newfound respect for him, yeah, et cetera, Yeah, that's the part I don't like the most of this. That's the sneakiest yeah. part. She's uh -huh. like, I want you to do it, not because you're the strongest and the best for the job, but because that means that you support Hades, which Percy then says, but we don't, so. Mm -hmm. Yep, mm -hmm. yes, Thalia immediately replies, but we don't trust yeah. him. <laughs> Percy agrees and checks to see if Nico's on the same page, basically going, yeah, right, Nico? And then Nico doesn't say anything, so then Percy a second time goes, right, Nico? <laughs> Nico takes some time, but then he eventually responds, I have to do this, Percy, he's my father. Thalia cannot believe that Nico is actually on board with this. Nico asks if they would rather have the sword in the hands of Kronos, and narrator Percy has to hand it to him. It's a pretty good point, and I agree. Like it does make sense. It's the lesser of two evils, which I guess is easy to do when the other evil being Kronos is like the most evil. Like it's right. the full yeah. opposite end of the evil spectrum. Mm -hmm. Anything else is going to be better than that. So like I get it. I still don't love it, but I get it. Right. It's really just them being backed into a corner. Yeah. Of having to do this. Hundred percent. Yeah. Persephone says that time is ticking and the thief may have accomplices looking for exits. Percy reminds her, you just told us that the realm was completely locked down. What do you mean, exits? They've all been closed. And she says that no prison is airtight. And when she said this, I did think, mm, as frustrating as this is, this is the plot of Hades the Video Game. <laughs> where... Not to give away too many spoilers, but there is something about trying to ensure that no one could escape mm. from the underworld. And there's a lot of thought that the main character is incapable of doing so. So it's certainly something that has basis in reality in Greek myths. So I get it, but I'm frustrated that, <laughs> that like, Persephone's using my love of this video game against me. <laughs> it's not fair. I just want to not like you. Stop using logic that appeals to my very limited knowledge of Greek mythology. <laughs> Thalia asks, quote, even if we wanted to, and I love that she starts with the like, all right, let's hypothetically say that we're on board with this plan. Not that we are, but. Definitely not on board, if but. If <laughs> we were, how would we find this thief? And then, the most helpful thing possible shows up, a potted plant on yep. the table. Exactly what you're uh, looking for in this situation. Just what you need when you're in the like underworld carnation. doing a scary thing. Yeah, a yellow carnation that is tilted sideways like it is reaching for the sun appears in this potted plant. And Persephone says that it will be their guide. And I wrote immediately, Percy's gonna go, a plant? <laughs> but he instead says, a magic carnation? <laughs> Look at Percy Jackson knowing his plants. <laughs> I was very pleasantly surprised that he knew what a carnation was. I don't know what a carnation is. Really? I 
think that it's one of those plants where you'd be like, oh, that's a carnation? Yes. Got it. But I don't think I would. Oh, okay. Maybe by process of elimination, like if I had a lineup of flowers, I would mm-hmm. know that's a tulip, that's a daffodil, that's a carnation. Well, if that's the lineup, yeah. <laughs> right, right. But if you put a bunch of like weird, complex ones that I don't know the name of, I do, they are yellow though, right? Some of them. I feel like I could logic my way into making an educated guess, but if I was given a blank piece of paper and then I had a test and they were like, draw a carnation, mm-mm, I'd be out. I think that carnations are one of those plants that we as humans have made to be every color. So they are definitely not just yellow. I don't know what they were originally, but they are every color now. All the unnatural colors and the natural ones. It's everything. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been Carnation Corner with Kevin. <laughs> Persephone says that the flower always faces the thief. And then I wrote, okay, where's it facing now? Is it facing Persephone? (laughs) And the petals will fall as the thief gets closer to escaping. And I wrote, all right, what is this, Beauty and the Beast? (laughs) Of course, right as she says this, a petal falls. Perfect timing. Percy looks at Thalia. Thalia does not look excited about this. He turns to Nico, who has an expression on his face that, uh, like Taylor Swift, Percy knows all too well. (laughs) (laughs) It is the look of wanting to make your dad proud even when your dad is hard to love. Shout out to Joel P. Schubert, being very easy to love. Super easy to love. (laughs) Super easy to love. What a dad. Love making him proud. Percy can tell that Nico is going to do this with or without them. And he knows, okay, I can't let Nico do this alone, so I'm in. Falling mm-hmm. right into Persephone's plan, yeah. knowing that this would tug at Percy's hero heartstrings. Mm-hmm. However, Percy tells Persephone that he is in on one condition. Hades must swear on the river Styx that he will never use the sword against the gods. And I like that he's adding the disclaimer about the river Styx because he got burned by that before, but we also saw in book four that he got burned by someone making an oath and then dying. So I feel like he also needs to say, and if for whatever reason Hades dies, this still has to be true. No one else can use the sword, but he does not do that. Persephone says that she is not Lord Hades, so she can't promise this, but she's, quote, confident he would do this. Not good enough. Not good enough at all. I've been through some legal stuff here and there. That's not good enough. You need it exactly in writing, exactly what you need. No ifs, ands, or buts. You can't, like, do, you know, reasonable intent, all that stuff. No, you need explicit confirmation. I wanted exactly these things. I didn't like this. Yeah, maybe the good faith clause doesn't really go over well when you're working with Hades. Yeah, the the Lord of the Underworld? Mm -mm, I wouldn't call him good faith. (laughs) Now, another petal falls. Percy offers to Thali that he will hold the plant while she beats up the thief. She sighs and says, (laughs) fine, uh, let's catch this jerk. And that is a perfect place for us to break for intermission. Hello and welcome to the Demipod Files once again here in Utah, here to give you some updates and some information and stuff. First and foremost, let me do a correction. Earlier in this episode, I referenced a film which I called 22 Bridges. Correction, it's actually 21 Bridges. My apologies. I also then watched the trailer, and in the trailer, they talk about shutting down the water, so my whole what about the fairy situation has already been answered by this film. I'm not going to watch it. What am I talking about? Let's talk about the podcast. First, really quickly, in case you haven't heard, just a reminder that we have upcoming shows with tickets live. We are going to be in Seattle in Vancouver at the end of the month, May 24th in Seattle and May 26th in Vancouver, Canada. And then in the middle of June, we'll be doing a run in Cleveland, Detroit, and Toronto. The guest for Seattle and Vancouver is my buddy Nathan Cox, who you might know from some old Potterless episodes, or my improv troupe, if you happen to watch any Tribe Called Yes stuff. Then in Cleveland and Detroit, it's going to be Eric Hamilton Schneider, a good podcast friend of mine. And then in Toronto, it's going to be Kelly Schubert. She's a good egg, isn't she? So those are the guests that we've got lined out. Make sure that you're following Tino on social media 
media, that's where I will be posting the updates about what chapters we're covering. So if you want to go to one of those shows and you want to make sure you've read the right portion in prep, that's where I will be announcing those. I'll also mention it in a future episode. But if you want to get tickets to those shows, you can go to thenewestolympian.com slash live. And also this coming Friday, May 19th, there will be a few more shows with tickets live. That is going to be Hartford, Connecticut, Chicago, Illinois, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. Those dates will also be live at thenewestolympian.com slash live. And the Hartford one is in July, and the other three are in August, the 7th, the 8th, and the 10th for Chicago, Milwaukee, and Minneapolis. Now, live shows aside, I often talk about the Patreon in the mid-roll breaks as well, and I often talk about director's commentary, and I guess I've never really described that, so in case you've never listened to one of those and you're wondering, what the heck does that even mean? Usually, I will post things from time to time on the Patreon where I just talk about behind-the-scenes stuff either with regards to particular episodes, if there was anything noteworthy that didn't make it into the pod, or I will talk about things that lie ahead, whether I have new merch ideas submitted, or if I have new shows coming out, or if there's any sort of bonus thing that I'm working on, I'll talk about it there. What I've been doing recently, which has been really fun, is posting director's commentary audio where I've been giving behind the scenes looks at all of these different live shows that have happened across Torah, because there's a lot of different things and moving parts and interesting stories behind what goes into these shows, whether that is me having to walk across a catwalk to get to the green room in in Amsterdam or how I had technically three places booked at the same time for the Berlin show and then the other two thankfully fell through. So just all sorts of funny shenanigans that is up for director's commentary audio that you can get at the Patreon if you join at the $10 tier or above. But speaking of that Patreon, let's give a shout out to the folks who have joined the crew most recently. So shout out to our newest demigod tier patrons, Kyle Summers, Riley Garrett, Gritz, Melissa Rangel, and Morgan. Thank you all so much for your support. May Dionysus bless you that if you're putting together any sort of thing for a party, whether that is food for a potluck or a drink or anything like that, you just nail the proportions perfectly. Another note that I've been talking about recently, if you've had any audio issues with the podcast, please let me know. Please send me an email to thenewsolympian at gmail.com. It seems like with the most recent episodes, there have been fewer issues that folks have been having. But if you have any sort of thing where the episode skips or repeats or anything like that, please send me an email to thenewsolympian at gmail.com. Trying to get it sorted out. Feels like there's progress being made, but I'm not positive. Let me know. Now, if you're all caught up on the News Olympian and you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, I make a whole bunch of podcasts. I'm an independent podcast boy. I put a lot of work into my shows, and I think they're very good. And one show that I think you would enjoy is Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is a game show podcast for charity where I serve as the host and guests compete to solve children's mysteries. And whoever solves the most slash earns the most points across the episode earns money for a charity of their choosing. We've done things from books like Encyclopedia Brown or TV shows like Scooby-Doo, other book series like Cam Jansen. There have been a whole bunch of fun episodes over a whole bunch of different mystery series, guest starring a whole bunch of lovely humans, and we've raised a whole bunch of money for charity. Look at all these bunches of fun. You can listen to this podcast and play along at home, see how you stand up to the competitors and the fictional young detectives who solve every single case. You can listen at meddlingadults.com or you can search for meddling adults wherever you get your podcasts. Now, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Brazil, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in Portuguese. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of the New Olympian.
This episode of The New Slimpian is brought to you by Annie's Kick Clubs. Now, if you're Sally Jackson, you have a very interesting situation in that your son Percy is constantly in danger. And maybe you need something to pass the time. You're at home wondering if he's going to be okay. Maybe you want a little bit of a hobby, maybe one that's relaxing and fulfilling. You could pick up a new hobby or further develop one that you already have in a crafty manner with Annie's Kick Clubs. Annie's Kick Clubs deliver creativity right to your mailbox. You get a new shipment every single month with supplies and instructions to make something beautiful. Whether you like crocheting, quilting, knitting, or other crafts, Annie's has a club for you. And they even offer clubs to try a variety of crafting techniques. If you are new to the game, like I am incredibly new to the game, I don't really know any of these sorts of things, but I know some of you folks out there are. I've had folks during some of my live shows knit slash crochet. I'm not even exactly sure what they're doing, but some folks are doing some crafty work in the audience and I love it. I think it's fantastic. I'm all for it. I think it's great and they look like they're having a wonderful time. And then at the end of the show, you've got a scarf. Oh, win-win. Incredible. Now I was sent a box from Annie's and I didn't pick one for myself because I'm not necessarily the craftiest boy, but one of the boxes that they do offer, which I think is fantastic, is called Creative Girls. And with these kits, you can teach a young one to paint or bead and stitch or scrapbook. So I have a box that I'm planning on working on with my niece, Aurora. I am so excited to do this with her. It's going to be a wonderful time. No matter your age or your skill level or your crafting interest, you can explore your favorite hobbies with convenient kits that are just the right size. And if you use the promo code Mike50 at checkout, you will receive 50% off your first kit. You just have to go to annieskitclubs.com. That is A-N-N-I-E-S-K-I-T-C-L-U-B-S.com and use that promo code Mike50 and you'll get 50% off your first kit. So if you want to do some crafty work while you patiently wait to make sure that your son is okay and didn't get destroyed by various monsters, you can start using Annie's Kit Clubs today. For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high quality meats. And now we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, aka the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts, and we'll have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you, or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Hello, welcome back for intermission. How's it going, everyone? <laughs> <laughs> Missed you all so dearly. And now... <laughs> and now we have the rest of the show, which after talking to Kelly, who... Sometimes I will use this in emails to make sure she sounds nice and important. I'll refer to as like, ah, oh, the producer on my podcast. <laughs> Instead of being like, can my wife go? Um, <laughs> Kelly made the very astute observation that there is a whole bunch left in this story. <laughs> We're not getting through We're it. We're not going to finish it. So rather than rush through and not have any fun, <laughs> let's just get as much done of the story as we can. 
leave some fun time for Q&A in the end, and then we'll pick up this story in Germany. (laughs) So... I like to say that you're time optimistic yeah. is, I think, what you're afflicted with. You're, you're time optimistic, and I think that's what was happening here, thinking we could finish this. I took out the physical book upstairs, and I showed him a representation of how far we were, and I was like, this is not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. What <laughs> remains is, I think, twice as long as yeah. what we've done, which yeah. will be perfect for doing a chunk of this now and mm-hmm. then doing the rest. So... Yes. For anyone, you know, listening after, one extra episode of TNO then was uh, marketed. So most people happy. The people who leave once our reviews because I'm going too slow, devastated. (laughs) But let's get back to Percy Jackson, where we last left our heroes. Thalia said, let's go catch this jerk. So let's go catch this jerk. (laughs) As they make their way through the underworld, Percy notes that it looks identical to the last time that he visited and they haven't decorated for Christmas at all. (laughs) I did kind of expect this to be like one of those fun in TV series where they have a Christmas episode and everything's just a little fun and lighthearted. When he opened with Christmas in the Underworld, I thought there was going to be a little more cheer. I'm not gonna lie, I thought there would be decorations. <laughs> you thought it was gonna be like a Nightmare Before Christmas where it was like a mix of skulls yeah. and Santa? Yeah, something like that. Or like one of my favorite um, Christmas movies, Anna and the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. which is a movie about zombies at Christmas time. It is a zombie Christmas coming of age musical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very good. They're not paying us to say this. It is a Scottish film and believe, yeah. it is wonderful. It is marvelous. Very delightful. It. And you can probably watch it online for it. Not a lot of money because yeah. it was like a small little indie film. Great mm-hmm. stuff. So they're going through the underworld. Percy is devastated that there's no Christmas decorations. And Percy feels silly carrying the carnation the whole time, which <laughs> I can get just like running around with a potted plant. <laughs> Nico is leading the way because his blade can clear out any path through the undead. Thalia groans that she should have known better than to go on a quest with a couple of boys. (laughs) And I would like to protest because pre-becoming a hunter, Thalia was all about Luke. She loved Luke. She was all into boys. Boys are great. Boys, boys, boys. Oh, no, I'm a hunter. I don't like boys anymore. They're so stupid. I've never liked boys. Like, you used to love boys. Come on. To be fair, the boy she loved is now a very problematic boy. Yeah, that's true. If there was ever going to be a boy to sour you on boys, yeah, <laughs> it, would, Luke. it would be Luke. Yeah. Percy asks if Persephone seemed a bit uptight. Nico says that she always acts this way around him because she hates him which I think is very interesting, and I was curious. Thankfully, they cue us into what their relationship is like. Mm-hmm. Percy astutely asks why she would include him on the quest if she hates him. Nico thinks that it was Hades' idea in a tone that makes Percy think that Nico wishes that it wasn't the case. There's a very interesting dynamic going said on. he wishes it was the case. Oh, was the case. Yeah. That makes more sense. He wishes, yeah. Mm. <laughs> he yeah. is hopeful that his dad sees something in him and wants him on this quest. Uh, and Percy does not think that that's the case. Yeah, that's way better. He Thank you. Missed the careful not. Well, it's that is the tricky thing with taking these notes sometimes is that sometimes all it takes is three characters to mean the opposite of yeah. what it actually was. Narrator Percy finds it odd that Hades didn't give them the quest himself. He wonders if the sword is such a big deal, why would Hades send Persephone instead to explain the whole situation? Which I think is pretty logical. Some mm-hmm. good reasoning from Percy. He thinks of Hades as more of a direct person, saying that he would want to do this himself, so it all just feels a little bit fishy. And I think it is. Yep, like we were saying, sneaky, fishy, 
shady, all the things. All of those synonyms. Narrative Percy says, quote, Nico forged ahead. No matter how crowded the fields were, and if you've ever seen Times Square on New Year's Eve, you have a pretty good idea, the spirits parted before him. This is a great excuse for me to make fun of Times Square, as I always like to do. <laughs> Any chance that I can get. And the reason that I want to specifically do it is in a recent episode, I bemoaned it because it's horrible and it's the worst. And then someone commented on the Facebook group. They were like, I'm European. Why is Times Square so bad? Mm. So I don't know if I've been explicit enough about why Times Square is so bad. <laughs> so let me just make it crystal clear in case any of you fine folks travel to New York. Do not go to Times Square. Times Square is crowded with tourists. It is not cool. The only attraction is seeing the giant advertisements, mm -hmm. the big like digital billboards. So what are you gonna do? Go see capitalism, the attraction? <laughs> it is awful. And what's especially awful about it is that very close to Times Square is Broadway, which is very cool. Mm -hmm. And very close to Times Square is Central Park, which is amazing. So mm -hmm. it's a bad thing with really cool things surrounding it. There's nothing to do there except shop in overpriced stores that are not cool, like the M&M store. Now, I know there's a BTS Line Friend store, which is very cool, so. <laughs> but then all the food is like the Olive Garden and Bubba oh, Gum Shrimp is... Company. Like nothing, yeah. nothing is good there. The only thing to do is look at advertisements. Don't let them win. <laughs> except for any advertisement that you hear in the mid-roll break of the New Olympian. <laughs> and if it's read by me, buy the stuff. Because <laughs> that's the good stuff. <laughs> anyway, you're... I do think as a New Yorker and having to walk through Times Square if you need to get through it for any mm -hmm. reason, it does suck for a lot of reasons. However, I can see the appeal to it from a tourist standpoint simply because lots of famous movie scenes and TV series scenes have been filmed there. And if you want to go there for that reason, I can see why you might do it. But I feel this way about like the windy street in San Francisco, which is just like bad traffic, the tourist attraction. <laughs> it's one of the things that like, it's just famous because it's famous and it's just in movies because it's famous. Like there's mm. so many other cool things to do. Yes. And if you go to schub.es slash NYCFAQ, you can look at my list of things you should do in New York instead. True. I agree. There's also, though, the only thing that I ever go there for is the place where you get discount Broadway tickets. That is actually cool. Is the TKTS. The thing that yeah. I would say about Times Square is, like, if you happen to walk through it yes. or near it for something you are also doing, fine. Yes. But do not make it your destination. But no. if you are going from the High Line to Central Park and you can find a way to walk through it, or, in my recommendation, view it from a safe distance, <laughs> you can do that. Don't go to it. I agree with that. I anyway, agree. we're supposed to be talking about a book. <laughs> Let's talk about that book. But it's Percy's fault. He brought up Times Square. <laughs> yeah. On New Year's Eve, too, which is the worst. Oh, that's a whole other thing. I, I, will, <laughs> I will never do the ball drop. I will never understand the ball drop. The weather is always terrible. People literally wear adult diapers so that they can not have to use the bathroom because you have to camp out there all day mm -hmm. just so that, what, you can be closer to Ryan Seacrest? Yeah, no. The only time I ever thought to myself, mm -hmm. should I do this, was when BTS was going. Sure. But you know and what else BTS does? They go on tour. <laughs> and that is exactly what you said. And I said, yeah. And that lasted about five seconds. And then it was over. The idea of going was done. <laughs> it's just bad because even the performances, like each band only does like one or two mm -hmm. songs. And they do the whole thing where they like don't let them do it very live. Yeah. Like the Super Bowl. It's a mess. Anyway. And what I heard. Oh. Yo, go, 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 go. It's they good. don't let you stand in front of whichever stage you want to stand in front of. So you oh. might go there for an artist that you want to see and not get to stand at, because they have multiple stages around the square, and you might not be allowed to stand in front of the one that you want to see. Oh, yeah. atrocious. We're oh, never going. Yeah. We're never oh. going. 
Thalia, about Nico being able to deal with these crowds, says, quote, he's handy with zombie crowds. I'll take him along next time I go to the mall. So she's still sassy and she's still fun. She still likes to go shopping. <laughs> I'm glad Thalia has stayed the same. Because she mentions the mall, Percy now notices that Thalia doesn't look any older than when he last saw her, but then he remembers, oh, right, she's immortal, she's never going to age, and then he realizes, oh, wait a second, technically, I'm older than Thalia now. Mm -hmm. Whoa, is what he says about it. <laughs> he asks how immortality has been. She rolls her eyes and says it's not total immortality because she can still die in combat, though she doesn't age or get sick, so natural causes are out of the question. And this is a very smooth way to inform the reader in case you have not read the third book in the series. Mm -hmm. It's a very nice way to get that information across. And Rick does a very good job of this throughout the series of letting you know about stuff you might have missed, but framing it in different ways. And this is a, oh, come on, Percy, you already knew this, which yeah. is just a fun way to do it. I really yeah. respect the way he writes it. Percy can tell that Thalia is scanning the faces of the spirits that they pass. So he whispers to her that if she's looking for Bianca, Bianca would be found in Elysium. And Thalia snaps, I know that, and catches herself for having too harsh of a tone with him. And then she begins to explain what she was doing, but then she stops short. But it doesn't matter because Percy has chills run down his spine as he realizes what was going on. He remembers that her mom passed away tragically, and Thalia never got to say goodbye. They weren't necessarily close, but still, not being able to say goodbye, maybe mm -hmm. there's just some unfinished, unsettled emotions there. So he realizes, oh, that's what she's doing. Ugh. He apologizes, and then Percy and Thalia make eye contact. He can tell that she understands. She forgives him and says that they should just move on. A really nice friendship moment yeah. from them. Beautiful friendship moment, for mm -hmm. sure. Now, another petal falls off of the flower. Ominous. And it's incredibly <laughs> ominous. And I said here in my notes, all caps, give me a total petal count, my guy. Yeah. Like, I gotta know what we're working with. Are there 100 petals? Should I not be concerned? Are there six? And I should be incredibly worried. We should I need have Googled to know. carnation during the intermission. Oh, yeah. that would have been an interesting thing to do. Yeah. We do have the internet here. I could do it right now. But what's the fun in that? <laughs> Unknown number of petals. Unknown number of petals. Well, we will get an update a little bit later. Good. The carnation directs them towards the fields of punishment. Percy was hoping that it would take them to Elysium, quote, so we could hang out with the beautiful people and party. But <laughs> no. Which is great. Instead, they're in the roughest part of the underworld. And narrator Percy doesn't even want to describe it to us because he doesn't want the reader to lose their appetite or because it's a middle grade book and you can kind of just leave it at people were being tortured as opposed to people were being tortured and here's how. <laughs> so I totally get it. But he does say something about uh, the torture including 1980s music which I was very sad about. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know if the torture includes it or if that's just the vibe of the underworld, but narrator Percy <laughs> says, quote, I wish I had cotton balls in my ears to shut out the screaming and the 1980s music. The screaming I get, but the 80s music... What an I, iconic era of music. I think he's implying that that was used to torture the people. I don't get it. And if I ever talk to Uncle Rick, I'll have to see what's going on. I think it's just him trying to write a teenage character that probably only likes their era of music. Mm -hmm. We know that Percy likes the White Stripes, which is very mid-2000s rock. So that's kind of where his musical tastes lie. But so far, canonically, he hates Dean Martin and he hates all of 1980s music. Yeah. <laughs> Two wonderful genres of music. Come on, Percy, you gotta expand know, those right? horizons. But I can get it. I definitely had a more closed-minded view of music until I got a little bit older. My dad very much had me listen to classic rock, so growing up, I was very much like classic rock only. And then he gave me a bunch of his CDs. My dad's a big Aerosmith guy. Aerosmith did that crossover song with Run DMC, the New York-based rap group from the 80s. 
And I remember he had a Run DMC album because it had the Aerosmith song on it. And I had my Walkman that I would listen to in the back. And he gave me the disc. He was like, oh, yeah, number four is the Aerosmith and Run DMC song. And then I just kept listening to the other songs. And I was like, wait, these other songs? <laughs> this hip-hop? Uh, the forbidden fruit of rap? Uh. And then I got way more into rap and hip-hop thanks to Run DMC. So yeah, we got to figure out what's going on with Percy not mm -hmm. liking any other music except for the White Stripes. <laughs> the carnation points them towards the top of a hill where they hear someone working and struggling. And I thought, okay, Fields of Punishment, someone struggling, feels like Sisyphus could be the person here. Very famous story about someone who would be here. Thalia asks if that's who she thinks it is. My dad is trying to call me during the live show. <laughs> Let me quick. His ears uh, are tingling from you talking about it. Like, what, what do you mean you listen to Run DMC? That was an explicit marked album. You were 11. <laughs> Let me just quick put the old phone on. Do not disturb. I will put it on. Dad, come on, Dad. I know the Yankees are playing because it's the first day of the season. <laughs> but I need to put my phone onto Do Not Disturb. How do I do that? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. There's it's this funny thing. He's in a group text with his dad and his uncle, and whenever there's a Yankees game on, they just text each other, like, one-word texts of people's names who have just done something cool in the game. My favorite, my favorite version of it, because I live in New York, is when I'm at the game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, because I'm there live, I'll see it first, and then they will see it a couple seconds later. But they know I'm at the game, and rather than just text themselves directly... <laughs> Oh, Aaron Judge hit a home run. Okay, oh, okay. I, get right. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. <laughs> Rather than just text themselves directly, they'll still text me like, oh, Judge. Yeah, oh, it's just Gardner. Judge. It's like, yeah, and it's just, and I will always reply, I'm at the game, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but then when I'm watching on TV, I love it. And then me and my dad and my uncle will just send the same message to each other. Judge, <laughs> we'll judge, be, judge. Nestor, Nestor, Nestor. <laughs> it's, just, it's great. Uh, men communicating. <laughs> Anyway, Thalia asks if that's who she thinks it is. Nico says it's the number one expert on cheating death. And I was like, oh, is it not Sisyphus? I know his whole thing was that he did cheat death, but it really feels like Daedalus from book four would mm. be the number one expert. So I was wondering if he was a possibility. Narrator Percy isn't sure what Nico means. So because Narrator Percy was confused by this, I thought, okay, then it's gotta be Sisyphus. <laughs> if Percy didn't immediately go, oh, our friend that we talked to very recently. So they approach this person. Narrative Percy describes him as looking unhappy and like a troll doll. Orange skin, big belly, scrawny legs and arms, hair sticking straight up, and a big loincloth around his waist. He's hopping around and kicking a boulder twice his size. So confirmed, this is Sisyphus, one of the myths I know about because of Hades the video game, but also just like general discourse. I feel like Sisyphus is very much in the zeitgeist where pre-Hades the video game, I knew that Sisyphus was the rock up the hill guy. Right, I knew the story, I did not know the name going into this. That makes sense, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Now, Sisyphus is screaming, I won't, and no, 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 and so many cuss words that Percy says if he had one of those jars where you put in a quarter for each cuss, he could have made $500 easily. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. A lot of words per minute. I there. mean, it's 2,000 cuss words, quick yeah. math. <laughs> <laughs> Sisyphus tries to walk away from the boulder, but an invisible force brings him back, and he agrees to do it, but he says this is the last time, which is very funny given the story of Sisyphus. <laughs> Nico tells them to hurry before Sisyphus starts his next attempt. Nico calls out to him. Sisyphus is convinced that they are the Furies in disguise, which kind of makes sense because there are three of them. Yes. So I can't blame Sisyphus for having this instinct. Mm -hmm. 
Percy insists that they're not. Sisyphus says, go away. Flowers won't make it better. It's too late to apologize. <laughs> wondering what the apology was for. Yeah, I don't know. For making him push his rock up, I'm assuming. That's what I would guess as well. Thalia tries to explain the situation. Sisyphus plugs his ears and goes, la, 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 I'm not listening. And this Sisyphus is so different from the Hades, the video game Sisyphus. Yeah. First and foremost, the Sisyphus in Hades, the video game is ripped, which makes sense since he is always pushing a boulder up a hill, but mm. also everyone in Hades is ripped. So it's a little <laughs> tough to say, but also he's so nice. He's one of your friends in the game. He's mm. very much at peace with his punishment. And in the game, he's friends with the boulder, huh. who he calls Boldy. And then huh. as the game progresses, you can become friends with Boldy. <laughs> and there are things that will happen where Boldy gives you a very slight power up. Like other power ups will give you 20% more attack power or 15% health protection from any attack. Boldy sometimes will give you things where it's like 2% boost to everything. And then underneath <laughs> it will say, Boldy believes in you. <laughs> Boldy's the best character in the game. He's so good. So it's just very different that in Hades' video game, he's very friendly and big and nice, and he's at peace with what the Furies have done to him. Mm -hmm. But here, just a very, very different vibe, which I think is fun. And I think that's the fun thing about Greek mythology is there's not necessarily one correct way to interpret a character. Mm -hmm. And I think it just makes for a fun thing to make him grumpy, scrawny, misguided guy. I do think that it's funny that he thinks the Furies are showing up with a half-dead flower as an <laughs> apology for thousands of years. So Slightly more than half dead, yeah. as we will soon learn. So they basically have to play a game of tag with him until Thalia grabs him by the hair. He yells that he has rocks to move. Thalia says that she will move the rock if he talks to Percy and Nico. He's surprised. She confirms that she means what she says. She pushes him towards her friends and then begins pushing the rock up the hill. I'm surprised that she offered to do that because with Atlas's punishment... If you take mm -hmm. it, it's yours now. Right. So I'm surprised she offered to do that, not knowing if she'd have to keep doing it. That's a very good point. Yeah. My guess would be the story of Sisyphus is so prolific that maybe she already knows what happens to him later when he tries to get out of it. Maybe mm -hmm. she knows that and doesn't have to worry about it. Maybe. Because she did go into this interaction saying, is that who I think it is? So it feels like she's pretty well-versed in the Sisyphus mm -hmm, myth. Mm -hmm. But that's a really good point. That's yeah. the only thing that I could guess. Yeah. But there is a point when he does, spoiler alert for what I'm going to say in four minutes, <laughs> when he does try to run away, there yeah. is a part of me that wondered, oh no, is it the same Alice situation? So mm -hmm. I get that. And yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, I think she's moving the plot along a little bit too. That also yeah. could be it where it's just like, <laughs> we don't need three sentences of this. Good thing we've talked about it for two minutes and 30 seconds on the News Olympian. But that's what we're here for, Uncle Rick. That's why this podcast is good. Please come on the podcast when you're promoting the TV show. <laughs> Sisyphus scowls pinches Percy's nose to confirm that he's not a fury and then asks what's up with the flower. Percy says that they are looking for someone and the flower is guiding them. And Sisyphus bets, ah, oh, this is a Persephone tracking device, isn't it? And then he says that he tricked her and he tricked them all. And Percy turns to Nico and asks, translation, which is perfect. And if I had the budgeting to just pay Dr. Moya to be with me 24 seven, yeah. would save me a lot of time <laughs> just to be like, hey, what's this? <laughs> Nico explains for Percy and for the reader's benefit that Sisyphus cheated death by first chaining up Thanatos, also a character in Hades the video game, the Reaper of Souls, so that no one could die. When Thanatos got free and was going to kill Sisyphus, Sisyphus told his wife to do incorrect funeral rites so that he wouldn't rest in peace. He then tricked Persephone into letting him go back to Earth 
to haunt his wife, but then he never returned. Trixie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Indeed. One of my favorite things about this interaction is while Nico is explaining this, halfway through, he turns to Sisyphus and goes, can I call you sissy? And Sisyphus, <laughs> Sisyphus goes, no. And then Nico goes, so sissy, and <laughs> continues. Very, very fun. Sisyphus laughs that he stayed alive for 30 extra years before they tracked him down and finally killed him. And of course, I got to ask Dr. Moy about the full version of the story. Percy asks if the eternal boulder rolling up the hill as a punishment was worth it. Sisyphus calls this just a minor setback and he will soon break free. (laughs) Nico asks how he would leave the underworld since it's currently locked down. And then Sisyphus says that someone else asked him the same question, which perked up my ears and all of the ears of our trio. Percy's got a really bad feeling about this, asks who it was. Sisyphus says that it was an angry young man who didn't offer to help with the boulder, just held a sword to his throat. And my first instinct was, well, that's Luke's signature move. But then my second thought was, he's not a demigod anymore. He's Kronos incarnate. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if Luke is down here, but that's very much a Luke vibe thing to do. Mm -hmm. Nico asks who it was and what Sisyphus told him. Sisyphus says he's not sure because he's never seen him before. He had a long package in a black cloth, perhaps skis or a shovel, and then I wrote in my notes, or a sword! (laughs) (laughs) Percy asks what he told him. Sisyphus says he can't remember. Nico draws his sword and tells him to try harder. Great motivation. (laughs) Sisyphus asks who has a sword like that, and Nico says, a son of Hades, and then Sisyphus gets to talking. And he says that he told this person to talk to Melano, and I was very excited because Melano is the main character in Hades 2, the video game, so I know <laughs> nothing about her except for what's in the story, and I'm about to learn a whole heck of a lot about her. So that was very exciting. This was just like, Hades, the video game, the story. There's a lot of characters showing up. It made me very, very excited. I was like, I know what's happening for once. Wow. <laughs> So he apparently told this guy to talk to Melano because she always finds a way out. Percy can tell that Nico was bothered upon hearing the name Melano, so something is going on between the two of them, or at the very least, he's familiar with her. Mm-hmm. Nico says that talking to Melano is asking to get yourself killed. Sisyphus says that he's cheated death before and he'll do it again, and Nico asks what this demigod looked like. Sisyphus says that he had a nose and a mouth, incredibly helpful, <laughs> But then he says, and one eye. And I was like, Tyson, no! (laughs) (laughs) But then Percy asks if he means an eye patch. And I was like, ah, Ethan Nakamura. That Mm -hmm. makes way more sense. Mm -hmm. And Sisyphus also adds that he did have hair on top of his head. (laughs) And then he goes, there he is. And narrator Percy says, we fell for it. And then Uh, this is the scary part that you are referring to. Mm -hmm. So they all turn around, but once they turn, Sisyphus races down the hill screaming that he's free, but after about 10 feet, the invisible leash yanks him back and then he falls to the ground. Mm-hmm. So he can't really leave the area. I exactly. Guess. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that the boulder kind of sets the trap. It's more of the area he's in is the mm-hmm. trap. I guess it's like the hill, not the rock sure. itself. But it does seem like the rock is a little bit enchanted based on what we'll learn from Thalia yes. in a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Nico and Percy bring him back up. He curses them in Greek, Latin, hmm, English, French, and several languages that Percy doesn't recognize. So I'm guessing Swedish and Finnish. (laughs) And then he says, quote, I'll never help you. Go to Hades. And Nico says, already there. (laughs) 
Thalia says incoming, and the boulder is bouncing towards them. Sisyphus braces and is able to stop the boulder. He asks Thalia to take it again, but Thalia refuses and says that he's on his own. He begins another round of cursing, so they realize this guy's not going to help us out anymore. So they leave, and Nico directs them towards Melano's cave. Mm -hmm. Percy is convinced that this demigod in question is Ethan Nakamura. Nico remembers him, but thinks that Melano is a bigger problem than Ethan. We didn't really see what happened to Ethan after he helped bring Kronos back, right? He kind of right. just fell to the ground, revealed that he was a child of Nemesis, and then Percy had to deal with running away from the Lord of Time, so we didn't really get to see what happened to him. But yeah, he didn't die, right? He was just kind of like left in the room, and I guess he's still on Kronos' squad. Right, we didn't really learn what happened next, and I'm assuming this is kind of what happened next. He's mm -hmm. risen through the ranks enough to have this important job to do. Yeah, and this makes sense that he would come back because I was talking to Johnny about Ethan Nakamura and Johnny was like, oh, classic. He's one of those characters like Chris Rodriguez where it's always his full name. And then he talked about Ethan Nakamura as if he was a bigger deal. And then, you know, he's only very briefly in book four. And mm -hmm. I was like, that's kind of weird for Johnny to make like a whole big deal about Ethan Nakamura being a whole thing when he was around for like a chapter and a half. I mean, a very important and Very important, but still. So when he came back, yeah. I was like, ah, Ethan Nakamura. And then he got called Ethan Nakamura every, every single, single time. time. Every Never single just time. Ethan. He's always yeah. Ethan Nakamura, full name, first name, last name. Percy can tell that Thalia is a bit off. So he asks her, what's up? And she says that she was convinced that she could get the rock up the hill and she wanted to try again. Mm. And this just feels very reminiscent of playing a carnival game where it is rigged against you. It is yeah. supposed to not work. Like it is designed to make it not work. The basketball rims are a different shape. The backboards and the toss thing, like everything is designed to make you fail. But still, every time you play a carnival game, you're like, I can get this on the next one. Just one more try, just one more try. I feel like you and I both have big just one more try energy oh, yeah. when it comes to yep. games. Yeah, it's really difficult for a bedtime sometimes. <laughs> right. One more try with a game like that or just one more day when we're playing Stardew Valley, it, yeah. can, uh, it can add up quickly. We've, we've stopped playing most competitive games against each other, mm -hmm. but it's like neither one of us wants to end on us losing. Right. So it's one more game. Yeah, it's... And then the best outcome is a tie and then we'll go to bed. <laughs> yeah, it's a little tricky. Percy says that they should just get out of there as soon as possible. They end up walking for a very long time. Three more petals fall, and I just wrote in my notes, how many petals are there? <laughs> Percy then, the next line clarifies that half of the petals are gone. Mm -hmm. So we're at a halfway half of marker. How many, though? Uh, I mean, right, we don't know the exact number, but still we at least have some sort of yeah. timeline going on. It then points to a set of jagged rocks. Thalia says, nice day for a stroll. And she <laughs> figures that the hunters are off having a great time. Percy wonders what his family is up to, thinking that Paul and Sally may be worried when Percy is late, that he hasn't come home from school, but then they'll probably guess that he got pulled into some sort of quest, but they might not know how long that he'll right. be gone for. Is he going to be home in time for Christmas? Right. All these different concerns. His quests usually start without any warning and are one to many weeks long. They usually take 10 days, yep. I have found. <laughs> they usually take the length of one book. <laughs> yeah, right. Which usually happens to be about 10 days yeah. or so. <laughs> Percy asks Nico, what is Melano's deal? And Nico says that it is a long and scary story. Percy is going to ask more, which I love this instinct, but then Thalia says, weapons. So Percy draws Riptide and thinks that he must look mighty intimidating with a sword in one hand and a potted plant in the other. <laughs> But then a ring of daimones appear around them. They are part humanoid female and part bat. And I wrote, which parts? Thankfully, Percy answers very quickly. 
They have furry pug-nosed faces, fangs, bulging eyes, fur and armor on their bodies, shriveled arms with claws for hands, leathery wings, and stubby bowed legs. So, uh, not great. Nope. Terrifying. Yeah. Not a fan. Nico identifies them as Keres or Keres? I have no idea how to say it. K-E-R-E-S? I'll learn in the Dr. Moy episode. They are battlefield spirits who feast on violent death. He tries to command them to step back because he is the son of Hades. They don't care, aside from being a bit cautious of the weapons, but it doesn't seem like Nico's be gone spell will work. Mm -hmm. He's tried that a couple of times, and it usually doesn't work. (laughs) I feel like it'd be too overpowered if it did work, so I get it, but... I do like that he still tries. It's worth the effort. Definitely. They say that Hades will soon be defeated by their new master who will give them free reign. And Nico is in the middle of asking who their new master is when one attacks. Thankfully, Thalia is able to arrow it. The rest attack. Our trio is able to fend them off. One yells, Ipetus shall crush you. Percy asks who as he kills her with Riptide. (laughs) And the narrator Percy says, note to self, if you vaporize monsters, they can't answer your questions. (laughs) Smart. Nico kills one, and his sword absorbs its essence, and with each kill, the air around him grows colder. Super cool. Nico's mm-hmm. sword sounds awesome. Yeah. Gets slowly stronger as he defeats people. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. Then Thalia does this cool move where she flips one on its back, stabs it, and then knives another without even turning around. She's like John Wick. It's yeah. incredible. <laughs> I love it. Unfortunately, though, Percy gets clawed, and because he's only wearing his school uniform, it's a pretty rough blow. Nico kicks this monster that got Percy and stabs them with his sword. Percy curls into the fetal position in pain. The battle is over, and Nico and Thalia run over to help. Thalia says that he'll be okay, but she has a bit of a quiver in her voice when she says this, so Percy realizes this has got to be a rough situation. Mm -hmm. This must be a bad wound. Right. Nico pours nectar on it, but it hurts, so big hydrogen peroxide energy. Percy notes that this is a risky move given Nectar's potency, but it ends up working, and Percy only passes out a few times. (laughs) When he comes to, he's being fed ambrosia by Thalia and asks where the creenies are. She says that they're gone for now. Then he sees Nico holding the plant, and it has just five petals remaining. Oh, no. no. Nico says that these creenies will be back. They got to get Percy some serious healing, God-level healing, because they can, you know, tend to the wound a little bit, but they can't fully cure him. Right. I think they said that it was some sort of a poison. Right. That they can kind of slow it, but in the end, he needs somebody to heal him fully or else. Yeah. So really got to make sure we get Percy to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's a really tough Tough wound. Percy says he'll be fine, which is big me energy. When I am not fine, I'll be like, I'll be okay. I'll figure it out. He then asks who Iapetus is. Checks that it's a Titan, and Thalia confirms shakily, explaining that he is Kronos' brother and the Titan of the West. His name means the Piercer, because that's what he does to his enemies. That is an awesome name. (laughs) I love nicknames that aren't just plays on acronyms. This happens in the NBA now, where a lot of Nicknames are just based off of the number that the person Mm -hmm. has or their initials or whatever. But back in the 70s and 80s, it would just be like, yeah, George Gervin, he's the Iceman because he's cool. Like, yes. (laughs) Incredible. Great. We need more nicknames like that. So just the piercer. Why? He pierces people. Yeah. (laughs) So good. So good. What a great nickname. Also, at this point, she notes that he's the dad of Atlas. Right. He is Cronus' brother and Atlas' father. So very scary lineage. Yeah. Scary brother, scary son. So by the transitive property, 
or at least the, what is it, like the biological tree thing that mm -hmm. Mendeleev does or whatever they were learning in biology class. He's also scary. Yeah. I'm assuming that trait just runs in the family. Right. And he said he had other Titan brothers as well. Yeah. So just the whole scary family. Not someone that you want to deal with yeah. at all. Their Thanksgivings do not sound pleasant. <laughs> he was cast into Tartarus with his brothers, and he's supposed to still be there. Percy's nervous about the sort of Hades being able to unlock dead spirits, and Nico agrees that it could be used to summon the damned out of Tartarus so they can't let them try. Bethalia notes that they don't know who they are. Percy guesses that it's Ethan Nakamura who has recruited the Kerries to help, and I'm worrying a little bit at this point that it wasn't Ethan Nakamura because Percy was so insistent, mm. and usually main characters in these YA books are wrong, yeah. <laughs> but we'll just have to see. Percy guesses that the Daimones think that if Cronus wins the war, the underworld will become more evil and more chaotic, and Nico thinks that they're right because Hades likes to keep a balance and he reigns in the more violent spirits. Mm -hmm. He doesn't think that the Titans would do the same if they put someone like Iapetus in charge, Nico adds that Melano would really like that, and Percy reminds Nico, you still haven't told us what her whole deal is. Yep. <laughs> What's her whole deal? So Nico explains that she is the goddess of ghosts and a servant of Hades. She oversees the restless dead that walk the earth, which is very interesting. She rises every night from the underworld to terrify mortals. And at this, I just wrote Hades too. It's gonna be so good. <laughs> I'm so stoked. Percy asks if she has her own path to the surface. Nico confirms and believes that it wouldn't be blocked because no one would dare trespass into her cave. Mm -hmm. And that is the exit that's not gonna be blocked. So this seems like a likely place that Ethan, Nakamura, or whoever it is, would try to investigate. Right, it seems like a likely goal too for Hades too. <laughs> I mean, I do know a little bit of the story of all that, Ooh. but there's been enough tangents in this episode, we're gonna get to a good stopping point. <laughs> so Nico is worried that if this demigod is brave enough, they could go through her cave, find Kronos, give him the sword, and use it to raise the Titans. Percy struggles to his feet, fighting off nausea. Thali says that he is in no shape to continue, but Percy says that he has to be ready to continue just as another petal falls. There are four left. Percy says that they must find the cave. And on this cool action note, we're gonna end this episode of The Newest Olympian for now. Now, if you are listening at home, we're gonna take a little bit of a break here and then we'll get into Q&A if we're here in person. Let's get right into Q&A. Hey, how's it going? It's Mike. Just a little break here with an update. The Q&A that you are about to hear is going to be a smaller version just because this is such a long episode to make editing and uploading lives easier. I cut it a bit short. It's just the first and the last question, both of which are fantastic, one of which has me eating a very divisive Finnish food. You'll have to just listen to see if I love it or I hate it. There is no in-between with this food. If you want to hear the full Q&A from this Finland live show, though, you can go over to the Patreon. I've put it up for access by all patrons. So if you go to the newsolympian.com slash Patreon and join at any tier, you can hear the full Finland Q&A. But we'll now take a little bit of a break for some of those locally inserted ads, some of them which are read by me, others of them that are not, just because this is such a long episode. And once those ads are complete, we will close out with those two live show Q&A questions. So thank you to everyone who sent in some questions. We got a lot of fun ones. This first one comes from Frida Vikstrom, who's been a longtime supporter of the show and gave Kelly, Stephen, and I so many wonderful recommendations oh, yeah. that have helped with so many things. So without you, we would be lost, literally and figuratively, <laughs> in Helsinki. So thank you very much. Now, I made fun of this at the Potter of the Show last night that I don't know if it's just the design district that we've been walking through a lot, but it seems like 95% of businesses in Helsinki are barbershops. <laughs> 
I did go to one today and it was fantastic. <laughs> so Frida's question is, how was the barbershop experience from the inside? And was it hard to choose one? It wasn't too hard to choose one because there were a bunch nearby where we were staying and I just went for the one with the highest reviews. A lot of them had really good reviews though. Mm -hmm. I just ended up going to the same place where I was able to pick up my hair care product because the Norwegian TSA said my hair care product was too big of a liquid. <laughs> Even though it's a paste and it was in a 120 gram thing and it had to be less than 100, but it was, uh, ugh, I was so upset. I was of all the things to get thrown out. My hair care product, come on, I need my pomade. But I ended up going to the same place and it was great. And I really enjoy going to barbershops where the barber does not speak English <laughs> because then they just cut your hair and they don't do any small talk. And I was in and out of there in like 25 minutes. It was great. <laughs> I gotta start doing this more often. So that was from Frida who signs this as your personal tour guide slash Olympic court member. So yes, thank you for the help, the advice, the support, everything. Okay, so I think this is a perfect note to end the show on. So this one is from Nia. Nia says, hey, did Mike try salty licorice yet? <laughs> yeah. I'll be right back. Happy to. Uh, <laughs> Mike did not try salty licorice yet. I was gifted some black licorice, but it was like sweet black licorice, like soft chewing black licorice. And that was pretty solid. I'm not a big black licorice guy, but as far as black licorice goes, that would be my favorite. I've not tried the salty stuff because as we talked about on the show last night, uh, Kelly and Steven tried it at this traditional Finnish restaurant that we went to and their facial reactions made it look like it was not a good time. <laughs> so I passed on the salty licorice. But then when we were there today, we were like, you know, it would be kind of funny if you ate it on stage. Um, I think to close out the show, I will try, <laughs> I will try this, uh, this salty licorice, which I hope I don't like, I, I, do you like, if I don't like this, is that, oh my God, everyone's filming, great, very fun. <laughs> Let me just get the big jug of water here, just in case this is really bad. It seems like pretty 50-50 on if people like, like it or not, so I don't feel like I'm gonna like offend. Oh, we're just here to watch you suffer, great. Okay, well, let's see, I'm gonna fill up my water glass in preparation. God. Uh, so we've got, I will hold it up. I don't know if there's like a recognizable brand of it by the shape, but I will hold up the shape. There are two in here. I will not be having two. So it's like this, it's like a diamond shape with like some ridges on it. I think that's, I think someone gave us a small box of these, depending on the reaction, maybe we will like give these as a gift. So let's, that's a good one in the box. All right, let's, all right, here we go. Mm, okay, it's very salty. Do I like this? Yeah, that's fine. That's so weird, I like it. Oh, here, check the microphone. I was gonna say, it feels like you muted me so that I couldn't be anti the salt and licorice. Wow, well, I got you too, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Wow, I'm very pleasantly surprised. Based on your and Steven's facial reactions, I was expecting this to be really bad. Okay, as I chew these, we're gonna close out the show. First, give yourselves a round of applause for coming out. None of this would be possible without you, so thank you so much. Give it up for Kelly for being an incredible guest. I promise I'm drinking the water just so I don't have like candy in my teeth, not because I think it's bad. This is actually really good. I'm so surprised. <laughs> Give it up to Steven for running in the merch table and having an episode as well. <laughs> 
And also, give it up for everyone here at Trap Factory from organizing it to, you know, figuring out the logistics to the tickets to hospitality to sound and everything. They've been such a delight to work with. Some of the stops on tour have been like really tricky to work out. This one was a breeze from start to finish. So please give them a round of applause for being fantastic hosts. Both shows were so fun. So thank you all so much. I really, really appreciate it. This has been such a blast. Obviously, if I do another European tour, I got to come back here because like the listenership was so strong. So thank you so much for coming out. And I look forward to when we can cross paths again. But until we cross paths again, we'll say the, uh, the classic iconic phrase that we all know and love. I'll see Thanks so much for coming out, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The News Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campomanes and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you love the show, you're all caught up on the show, and you just can't get enough, you should check out our Patreon, where you can get access to loads of bonus content, bonus episodes, bloopers, director's commentary, monthly Q&A live streams, all sorts of good stuff lives at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. And if you want to rep the show, you can get some merch at thenewsolympian.com slash merch. If you want to be part of a larger community, you can join the Patreon, get access to our Discord, but you can also check us out on social media. We're at News Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash the News Olympian. We even have a TikTok account that Sherry runs. It's at News Olympian. Lots of good stuff on social media. This show wouldn't be possible without our patrons, and I want to give a shout out to our ultra god tier patrons, Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Haskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Josh Sayer, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Falcon, Joey James, Christopher William Boucher, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reby, Carly Allen, Riley Kitas, Mary Kelly, Audra, McKenzie, Mrs. O'Leary, Aaron Wood, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Christ, Cece Reads 23, Sankoff, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Michelle Spurgeon, Zachary Hamilton, Sarah Neal, Ricky, Francesca Pacheco, John Drillsma, Demi Godnurse, Rayla Matthews, Riley Dragon, Luna Kadoon, Sky Mallory, Elizabeth Obermiller, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, and Sky Captain and the Princess. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, tell a friend about the show. That really helps a ton. Reach out to someone directly and say, hey, you love Percy Jackson, or hey, you've been looking for an excuse to read Percy Jackson. There's this podcast. It's very good. The host is very humble. You could also talk about us on social media or leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you're using. All these things help, and I really appreciate all of you who have done that or will do it in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode, where we will be joined by Steve and Para to complete our coverage of the Demigod Files during the second half of the third story live in Munich. But until then, I'll pursue you later. Hey, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mix. So our last ASMR Mix segment featured audio from Jeju, which is an island in the southern part of South Korea. That is going to start a trend of Korean ASMR Mix segments. So here's the next installment. I hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening.